Welcome to Scaling Up, the podcast for water treaters by water treaters, where we're scaling up on water treatment knowledge so we don't scale up our systems. Hi, everybody. I'm Trace Blackmore. I am the host of Scaling Up, and today we're going to be talking about stuff that really I don't think we should be doing. What do I mean by that? That is stuff that I see other water treaters do that just makes me say, what the heck are you doing that for? So, since it's my show, we're going to create a new segment, and that segment's called The Boiling Point. And The Boiling Point is stuff that I see folks do that you just shouldn't do, and quite frankly, it ticks me off. Today, we're going to just start off with a couple of items that I've noticed, and the first one we're going to start off with is the raw water. So hopefully you all know when I say raw water, I mean the water as it comes out of the faucet. So wherever that's coming from, if it's a well, if it's coming from a municipality, whatever it is, we're going to call it raw water. The water that's coming into the system as it is. So the thing that kind of gets me going when it comes to raw water, especially when I consult with other water treatment companies, is I am amazed at how many service reports that I actually go over and critique that don't have raw water on them. How the heck do you know what's going on with the system if you don't know what the starting point is? And folks, if you don't get it, the raw water is the starting point. That is your crystal ball on what is going to happen in the system. I'm starting with A, and I'm going to concentrate A up so many times to equal A times 5 or 6 or 7, whatever your concentration ratio is. Now, when I go to test the system, I should see 5, 6, 7, 8 times of those items in there. Now, this isn't a chemistry class, and that is not an accurate statement for every single ion that you're going to test. I get that. But I want you to understand the point that that's a really easy method for us to determine what's going to happen in the system and allow us to start thinking, okay, what do I know about the raw water? What do I know about how it's going to concentrate up? And then that's going to allow me to predict what's going on in the system. And now when I'm testing the cooling tower or the boiler, I can guess what it should look like. Now, that's the reason for the test, because we don't guess on anything with water treatment. We're going to create a hypothesis, which is a really fancy name for a guess, and then we're going to prove or disprove that hypothesis based on our test. Once we have our test, we can say, yep, what we thought was right, or nope, what we were thinking wasn't right, so we need to rethink again to figure out what's going on, and then we're going to do it to complete the service. So if you are not running your raw water, I want you to ask yourself why. And if you tell me because you don't have enough time to run those extra tests, I have a clean lyrics designation on my show, so I can't use the expletive that I really want to say, but I will say that that is not your problem. The fact that you don't have enough time to run those tests isn't your problem at all. Here's your problem. Your problem is, is that you have not spent the time necessary 
to learn your test, to be able to know what order to run them in, to know I can, if I run with this test with that test, I'm going to get a little bit extra time, i.e., I can run this whole battery of tests 10 minutes faster if I do it in this certain order. So if you have not played around with your test kit, you have not tried to make the order of your test more efficient, that's your problem. It's not the raw water. And trust me, folks, if you're not testing raw water, there are problems out there that you don't even know about. So please help me help you become a better water treater. Wait a second. I just called you a water treater. That means you got to know what's going on in the water that you're treating. So if you're going to call yourself a water treater, you better know what's in your water and you better test that raw water. Wow, that was pretty therapeutic. As a water treater, I feel very liberated. I like the boiling point segment. I hope you guys do too. So let's talk about another topic. Uh, how about our next topic is evaporative salts. Well, what the heck do I mean about evaporative salts? So imagine you're walking around the cooling tower and you see the tower louvers. That's the stuff that keeps the water inside the cooling tower, not splashing out. And you see this film, this salty crust that's on the outside of the cooling tower. And say this is somebody else's account and you're surveying this account, trying to get this business. And you say, hey, look at all that scale right there. The other guy must not be doing a good job. And of course, the customer unfortunately does not know a lot about water treatment in most cases. And you have just told them something that is totally false. So in order to see if a water treatment program is indeed working properly, we don't look at the outside of the cooling tower. We want to look on the inside wetted surfaces. That's where the heat transfer is taking place. That's where we're transferring the BTUs out of the water into the atmosphere. So look in the tower fill. If it's, a, if it's an open-sided cooling tower, you can actually reach and be very careful. This stuff can cut you and you don't want to damage it either. But you can, actually, you can actually sort of reach in there, spread that tower fill apart, and all those surfaces that are wetted all the time, those should be clean. So let's say we did that, and it was indeed clean, but we have all of this crust on the outside where the water splashes and evaporates. Well, folks, that's just how it works. No heat transfer is taking place on the outside of the cooling tower. So it's not costing the customer more money to have that. I will agree it's not aesthetically pleasing, but it's not scale. Do not tell your customers that it's scale. What it is, it's high concentrated solids water because that's what the cooling tower is doing. It's concentrating up solids. That water is splashing out on a surface that isn't wet 100% of the time and only pure water evaporates, leaving its solids behind. And that's what you're seeing. You're seeing those solids left behind. Now, normal cooling tower maintenance should take care of that. But what happens is a lot of our customers say, hey, we're going to try to save a little money this year. We're not going to clean the cooling tower. Or maybe that part of the cooling tower wasn't cleaned. So at least on an annual basis, and I actually recommend more than that, but at least on an annual basis, you want to make sure that the cooling tower is cleaned and all those surfaces are clean too. Now, if your customers really 
you know, excited about that and they want to make sure that it looks good for the owners and all. There are some cleaners and various things that you can spray on there to help get that off. But honestly, if if they are really concerned about that and they do that on a more regular basis, it may even come off with uh, just regularly hosing it down. So uh, if they want it clean, that's going to be a process that you're going to have to work with them so they understand there has to be some sort of mechanical mechanism in there, i.e. cleaning to get that off. That does not mean that the water treatment program is failing. By all means, the water treatment program could be failing, but that's not your evidence for that. So please educate your customers properly and let them know that evaporative salts are not scale. So I hope you realize I'm not mad at any one person. The boiling point just simply lets you guys know how serious I take water treatment and really how high a standard I hold all of us to. We all decided to become part of the best industry in the world. We said, hey, we're gonna be water treaters. Well, folks, if we're gonna be water treaters, we need to give this industry the respect it deserves. And every so often, I'm gonna vent on you guys and I'm going to let you know things that I see that if we just pay a little bit better attention, if we just do a little bit more detail, we're gonna be better water treaters. And at the end of the day, if I made you think about something that maybe you were or maybe you weren't doing, and tomorrow you're gonna go out and you're gonna think about it and you're gonna do a little bit better, I think I did my job because you're doing your job and we're all making the industry a little bit better each and every day. Next up on our program, we're going to have a conversation with John Zabrita. Okay, I was all amplified up. I was upset about things that we weren't doing properly in the water treatment community. So now we're going to bring it back because I don't know if you guys know John Zabrita but I cannot think of a nicer guy. We're gonna spend a little bit of time with Uncle John. He's gonna tell us some things that he does, things that might make us a little bit better tomorrow than we were today. So I hope you enjoy my conversation with Uncle John, John Zabrita. I'm here today with John Zabrita. John is the first recipient of AWT Supplier of the Year and longtime supporter of AWT. How are you doing today, John? I'm doing fine. Good to visit with you, Trace. Well, we definitely appreciate you being on the show. One of the things we try to do on this show is, uh, is, is learn from people that have been involved with the industry, try to talk about some of your successes, some of your failures, how AWT has uh, benefited you, suggestions you have for the new water treater, things like that. But there might be some listeners out there that don't know who you are, and that's unfortunate because John is an incredible human being. So, John, uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, I was born on the south side of Chicago, and we migrated to Florida when I was in high school. I went to Florida State and studied chemistry, ended up working in the phosphate industry to start out, which processes a lot of water every day, and that's how I kind of got started in the industry. That's that's where I hail from. So. All right. Well, um, how did you get involved in the water treatment industry? Well, my boat sunk. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> um, I think what's funny is like, I remember back when I was about four or five years old, belly flopping off the uh, high dive into the water. And I realized that water was a pretty hard subject at that time. But I think we all have a kind of a fascination for water. And my mother used to think I was a fish when I was a kid. And water is a fascinating 
medium um, that we all live with. And when I graduated in chemistry and and went to the job in the, in the state of Florida, we had a lot of water. The phosphate industry processes water to the tune of like 10,000 gallon per minute recirculating pumps around the plant. So a lot of my responsibility was handling processed water, cooling water, and the, the, the manufacture of fertilizer. So it was part of my my job to watch after the waters. And I, I ended up focusing on water in, in engineering school at my attempts to get a graduate degree in chemical engineering while I was working down there in Piney Point Phosphoric Complex in Florida. And I became the environmental manager of that complex, which was dealing with the discharge of waters and making sure that uh, NPDES permit requirements were met and actually ended up working on processes to clean up the water and and water treatment facility for the processing of the acid waters that were in that facility. Well, and then uh, your company is Zybex. So tell us a little bit about Zybex. Well, Zybex is an independent company of with a supply chain specific to the water service industry and other water industries. We try to focus on the solutions to the customer base that we serve so that we're an actual ancillary engineering add-on to our sale and we help people go through solutions to problems. It's not just products for sale but rather to help people go through formulations and troubleshoot and figure out how to make a more cost-effective and profitable formulation because if Zybex cannot help its clients develop profitable product technology, then we need to go back to the drawing board. So we try to help as a business partner and a supply partner and come up with solutions to the challenges that we all face in business. Well, I will say that uh, we here at Blackmore Enterprises use John and Zybex and he is considered highly as as a partner. And in fact, right before this interview, he and I were in my lab trying to figure out a problem that we're still working on. We, we figured out what we shouldn't do. Now we need to figure out how we can do what we need to do. So more to come on that. John, I know you've been involved with AWT for quite some time. How did you get involved with AWT? Well, that simple. It was Charlie Matthews from uh, over there in Birmingham, Alabama. I had gone to the industrial excuse me, the International Water Conference, also known as the IWC. Back in 87 or 88, I don't remember what year that was, the first one I attended. And Charlie was in the hallway like a preacher man talking about, why don't you join AWT? And um, he was very vocal about it. So we showed up at the AWT ad hoc meeting there. And Charlie is quite the colorful character from Guardian IPCO Industries in Birmingham, Alabama. And so I attended the first AWT meeting, which was more like, I would describe it as you just went into this room and there was a group of fellas there and a card table or two, actually a bigger than a card table. And then they had some technical sessions and they chatted a lot about water treatment. And I think at that time, in that period of time, there was the IWC and the CTI, but coalition or the ad, the membership of individual business owners, there really wasn't an organization for individual business owners that were challenging uh, times for them at the time. And so the AWT was the right organization at the right time for a burdening in- industry of independent water treaters. And I think it's done a great job developing resources for independent business owners. So I felt it was a good organization to become involved with. And there was no internet back then. 
I don't think there were even cell phones back then. Well, Carrier carry pigeon was, was what she used, I believe. Well, shoe leather. You okay. know, the telephone and the shoe leather. And heck, sometimes if you even showed up at an account, they would say, no one ever calls on us. They, they'd roll out the red carpet because it was a different time then. And um, I think the folks, by word of mouth, realized that AWT was a good organization to join. And many people, we encouraged them to join AWT and it became a bigger organization along the way. So no regrets there. And John, to this day, you're still very active in the Association of Water Technologies. In fact, you are the chairperson of the Boiler Subcommittee. Is that right? That is correct. Uh, tell us a little bit about that committee and what you do on that. Well, I try to keep all the paperwork and the reports together. And, <laughs> and then we work on topics that we feel that the committee feels and the members that are overall good technical contribution to the AWT members so they don't feel all alone if there's a new problem such as aluminum boilers or some topic of regulations of additives that can be used in steam contact with food, etc. And we try to simplify so that it's easy for technical directors and the members of AWT so they can explain it to their customers what the issues are and why they're doing things a certain way and instead of me being more cumbersome like it can be with regulations and technical so we're we're very active in that area all right well you mentioned aluminum boilers and i believe it was about a year ago your committee published a paper on aluminum boilers and i know our listeners are having to deal with a customer that all of a sudden presto there's a aluminum boiler there that wasn't there last month and now we as the water treater are expected to treat that. Could you, any advice, any um, uh, any horror stories, anything you want to want to talk about around the aluminum boilers? We're, we're among friends here. Well, well, you know, the aluminum boiler is a misnomer. And I, I've said in our committee meetings, the day they make a boiler out of aluminum is the day that I'm going to resign because I'm just not so sure that a, aluminum is great metallurgy for actually boiling of water. So we use the term hot water heating boilers which is a different so it's hot water under a slight amount of pressure but there's no steam generation in these heat exchangers and the reason that the industry has moved to aluminum is very simple it's a it has very high heat transfer it's very light and the size of a hot water heating boiler is minuscule it's like having a cell phone next to a, a giant switchboard compared to having the old-fashioned steel heat exchanger. So it's a very compact unit. It's very a very intelligent technology. However, treating that metallurgy water is very different. It took a long time to come to the great realization that you need to keep the water between 6.5 and 8.5. I think that those are the numbers in the recommendations. And to avoid at all costs dif different types of alkaline cleaners that you're so accustomed to when you clean up a hot water system like you either go high alkaline or low acid to clean up fouled systems with aluminum you have to isolate that uh, heat exchanger or only use cleaning solutions that work between 6.5 and 8.5 pH that are not deleterious to the aluminum uh, metallurgy. So if somebody just discovered that uh, they magically inherited an aluminum boiler what advice would you give them? Well, you could go to the members-only website and look at the technical document, which refers you to the various manufacturers' resources. A quick and efficient um, summary of 
what the playing surface is like with an aluminum heat exchanger. And then you can go to the resources of the various companies. And most of them are very helpful because they want their material, their, their technology to work and work properly. And so does the water treater and the, the customer that we're all serving, which is the uh, owner of that material, because that, that they buy that, excuse me, the owner of that aluminum heat exchanger because they bought that and put it in service to conduct a certain unit operation. And it's our job to make sure that they're working properly. And it's in everyone's best interest that these these systems work well, uh, the manufacturer included. So everyone should work together to make sure that that technology works. And they've been very helpful to us along the way, uh, meeting with them and talking with them so that, that it was a, a process which was sort of, for lack of a better term, when the aluminum heat exchangers first showed up, it was an alien spaceship that had landed on our planet. And everyone looked at it like, oh... Is, what are these people going to do to us? Attack us like the Romulans or the Klingons in Star Trek? And the answer was, no, it's just a change, and we have to adapt to that change. And once you look at the engineering of the exchanger and why it was done, you understand fully the extent of the efficiency that's involved and the ease of changing out stuff. So they're, they're, they're well thought out. They're just different. So, um, so, so that's good to know that that paper was not only developed by the committee of uh, AWT, your committee, but you had, uh, you had input from the manufacturers as well. Yes. We could have used a little bit more, but it, we had a input. It was not done in a vacuum. Well, John, um, I, know, I know you are uh, one of my favorite stops uh, at the AWT convention hall. For those of you that have not experienced John Zabrita Zybex lip balm, I tell you, you have not lived. It is the best lip balm on the planet. I don't know if he makes it himself, but I always have the standing orders from my wife to pocket as many as I can. And thank you for that, John. Uh, there are several new members out there, new uh, supplier members, and uh, they might be considering, should I go to the AWT convention? Should I get a booth to exhibit my wares? What, uh, what advice do you have for, for those people? Well, you know, the AWT convention is an excellent resource for business owners to have their employees learn about the AWT, to go to the technical sessions. It's an excellent resource for supply chain and different ideas of what's changing in the industry. And I, I would say that it's an experience that um, is well-deserving to folks that have attended it. And they're very it's very beneficial both technically and business-wise. Most important is that we address all aspects of the of the industry and keynote speakers are quite impressive from year to year and very, they have very good lessons to learn uh, especially you know when you have war heroes or business heroes there and they exp explain their own personal experiences on how they got ahead and i think last year we had a little bit of a review of Hell Week for a Navy SEAL, if I recall correctly. That was correct, and yes. he had pictures and circles and arrows and diagrams and just what it takes to be a Navy SEAL. And I, I think anybody that has read about Navy SEAL training, it's a, it's a week of little sleep and a lot of work. And I would suggest that you get a little bit of sleep before you go to the Aided TV because you probably won't get a lot while you're there. It's a very busy, busy hectic schedule. And like Oliver Wendell Holmes once said, or the only justices in the halls of justice are in the halls, 
many times in the hallways of the AWT, you learn a lot from your compatriots and fellow business owners and other technical folks as much as you learn inside the technical sessions or that. So it's a very busy and brisk schedule to visit with as many people. And now that the attendee list is so large, it's hard to cover everyone and see all your old friends, isn't it, Trace? You Absolutely. miss you miss a few, one or two every year, don't you? It's uh, it's definitely well attended, and it's hard to get around to see everybody. But uh, I know we all try to do that. Uh, John, we've got a, a lot of new water treaters that, that listen to this podcast. And one of the questions that uh, I want to ask that, that might help them is, what is one of the most common mistakes that when you're working with other water treaters that you see that they may be able to avoid? Well, you know, that's a tough, that's a tough question to ask. And, you know, when I, when I worked in a chemical plant, one of my biggest concerns with the staff was, we've done it this way for 20 years. We've tried it another way. It's not going to work. Well, you should stick that out of your head because you'd always try something new. And I think one of the mistakes we should be careful about is if we have someone that is a venerist and tells us it should be done this way, because we might just go in the lab and make a mistake and it won't blend up, for example, or we'll implement something in the field because someone said that this is the way it should be done. And we should be cautious not to just take things for face value because there's more than one way to skin a cat and there's more than one way to solve a problem, but there inherently is a wrong way to approach a problem. And sometimes technology that works at one of your compatriots' accounts may not work at your account because of water chemistry, recirculation rate, the nature of the metallurgy, or the way the people apply the technology. I think it goes without saying that the operators must be on board to do what, what you have suggested for them to do for. If they don't blow down the boiler or put the chemical in or change out the, the, the product application uh, vessels, then it will end up being a failure. So I think you have to be a a team with your customer to make everything happen correctly. Uh, and, and John, I know you've been supplying AWT members for years. Have you seen a shift in certain chemistries to another chemistry recently that, that you can talk about? It's an interesting question. I started selling molybdenum when I first started, and it was a, a very interesting time because we were just leaving the chromium days and mm -hmm. although molybdenum is not exactly like chromium it was a nice alternative and there were technologies and at the same time we were leaving the chromium which was acid chrome treatments the blossoming alkaline treatments were coming along so we've seen a great change in the last 20 to 30 years because i think now other than a pocket full of Phosphorus applications at neutral pH, pretty much everything is treated in the alkaline state. And the only time of, type of acid control we're using today is to keep the alkalinity in check so that if we want to be at a medium alkalinity instead of high alkalinity, that's good. So I think the, the changes that we see is more alkaline, more cycles, and more restrictions on the type of chemistries that we use and what we can discharge. John, what is your funniest and or best water treatment story that you have to share with us? Well, you know, I, I really have a fond remembrance of a certain incident that happened down in Texas with a young gentleman named John Mackey. He was, for the first time, putting molybdenum, molybdates, into a refinery on a brand new technology that was developed. And I asked him if he could wait for me and I could help him. And he said, okay, what time can you be here? And I said, well, I'll 
I'll be there at six o'clock. So he waited till six o'clock in the evening. It was a Friday afternoon. It was raining outside and I had my suit on and when we wore ties back then and my my raincoat and we had several pallets of sodium molybdate that we're putting in as a pre-treatment. So, and back then we could carry pocket knives on our airplane travels and I was with him helping him open the the bags of sodium molybdate that were in the fiberboard drums and just dumping away. I think there were six kegs to the pallet and I think we had a total of three pallets. And while we're dumping away, the unit superintendent looked at John Mackey and asked, how much does it cost to put this stuff in my system? And John Mackey stood up and looked at that unit superintendent and pointed at the, the cracking unit where they cracked the gasoline and And he said, how much does it cost to shut that unit down for just one hour, let alone a day? That's what you need to worry about. You don't need to worry about this right here. And that is a real great lesson in sales when you think about it. Like, don't worry about this. We're we're taking care of your system and your system will prevail in the end. You worry about how much it costs to run your system. Because I think in the end, the economics will speak for themselves. That's a that's a great story. And that's a funny story and a great story at the same time. So, I like to ask people, uh, what was their epic fail? So, what did you do? And you were just so excited about it, and you knew it was going to work like clockwork, and you went out there, and it just totally fell apart. I know that happens on a daily basis. I'm just <laughs> you can edit that out. I said, you know, I think one of the bittersweet moments of my career was when I had developed a wastewater system in Florida for the phosphate industry and it was the first to remove ammonia and the first to remove phosphate and fluoride to like less than one parts per million. It was a very effective way and it, and, it, and it had to be done to comply with an administrative order from the EPA. So there was a lot of a lot of money riding on this project and the bittersweet moment was no sooner did we finish the project and I was just wrapping it up and that they had to lay off the rest of the crew members that were working on the project, and I got transferred to another plant. So it was like, but it was a good lesson. You get your job done, you move on, you have to go to the next project or the next plant or the next sale. Your last sale doesn't make your next one. So that was a really good lifelong lesson from that episode. But it was was a long project, and I'm not sure that we quite finished it the way I would have finished it, but then again, you seldom do. You just have to move on sometimes. John, it's the second time you've mentioned sales, and that is a very popular topic that uh, people go to our site, uh, which is Mm scalinguph2o.com, and they they ask us, you know, how do we sell water treatment? What are are some tips? So let me ask you, uh, do you you have any tips for our listeners on uh, what they need to focus on when they're trying to sell water treatment? Well, you know, sales is solving your client's problems, and so... You look for that that concern that your customer has, and you resolve that concern so that they give you other concerns to resolve. And I think in the end, it, we're a technical engineering service that has remunerated our services and sales. But in the end, we are solving problems for customers, so we just have to find the problems. And sometimes it's best that that customer has your business card so that when he has a problem, he remembers to call you that he remembers, Oh, I'm going to call for this instance. I have this problem. That nice gentleman trace was just in my office. What was his name? Blackmore enterprises. And he finds your card. Oh, that's old fashioned. 
he finds your contact in your iPhone or on your computer. And, and that is another issue in sales is how do we contact people these days? Because nobody wants to talk nor return telephone calls or who wants to read an email. So it's, it's, it's a variety of challenges on how we contact people and keep our names of the companies or products in front of them. So you're right. It's a diff- sales is a different arena today. Yeah, that might be an interesting topic for a future show. What mediums are we using for, for sales today? Because, uh, because you're right, it, it is very different. But yet we still have older people in the industry that that's how they communicate. So mm-hmm. uh, maybe we'll explore that. So uh, are you ready for the bonus question? I, I guess you have to throw it out at some time. Don't you? <laughs> so, uh, so John, if you could have a conversation with anyone in history... Who would that be and why? You know, I, I I looked at your question across the table here, reading upside down, mind you, which is a very still a good skill set to have. And I had to narrow it down to Thomas Jefferson, John Kennedy, and Benjamin Franklin. And, and I'm thinking for purely technical reasons that Benjamin Franklin would have been one of the most interesting people to step back in time because he didn't have the benefit of all the predecessors before him to innovate. So he had to come up with a lot of good ideas on his own. And I think he was a very practical man and a pragmatic man. So I think it would be most interesting to talk with him. Well, you know, I'd, I'd like to thank all the people that work for Zybex and, and the folks that we represent. And because and, we're a team and we all work together. So none of this would be capable without the folks that we represent. And most importantly, our customers and their customers, because we're here to serve and we're amongst those who serve and we feel that way very strongly. So I'd like to thank everyone out there that works with us and people who work with them. Thank you so much. All right. Well, John, it's truly been a pleasure to, to speak with you. And John is going to be at the AWT convention uh, in September. That's in uh, Grand Rapids, Michigan. Please, if you have an opportunity, stop by and uh, say hello. John's a great guy to chat with, and I really appreciate you joining us this afternoon. Well, thank you so much, and I appreciate the honor and the pleasure of being here. Thank you. Well, how is that for a program? I started off by fussing at you, and then Uncle John brought it back and let you know that everything's okay. He also talked about some free tools that you could get from the Association of Water Technologies. By the way, I'm going to put those links up on my show notes. Talked about a couple of committees that maybe you want to get involved with, or at the very least, get the fruits of their labor. I tell you that aluminum boiler uh, paper is a really good one. If you're just getting started on aluminum boilers and you want to know, hey, how can I treat these well? So I really appreciate all your comments. Please keep them coming. Without those comments, I'm not going to have a show for long. I don't know what you guys want me to be talking about without them. Luckily, I have been getting some, but that doesn't mean that I've gotten yours. So if you and you know who I'm talking to have not sent me that comment on what you want to hear about and what piece of water treatment information are you not quite clear about and you want to have a conversation about it with somebody, let me know who that is. I'll get them on the show or I'll research it as best as I can and I'll try to explain it over the air. But I want to say I appreciate you guys helping me out with the show. I appreciate you taking the time to hit subscribe and listen to it. And I want to thank you once again. Thank you for joining me on Scaling Up.